welcome back to Note to Self. I'm Ashley Gidler. I'm here with Abby and Natalie, and we have Stefan Robinson joining us today. He's a teacher at Normal Community. Welcome, Stefan. Thank you for having me. Stefan is here when we uh, sent out our first podcast. Stefan reached out to us and said you know, he has a meditation group going, and meditation is something that he really uses in his everyday life. So we invite him to come join us and talk about how he uses it and kind of uh, how that can help other teachers. <laughs> so tell us about, um, we're going to start with your group, first of all. So what do you have going on at Normal Community? Um, <clears throat> can I first comment on the title of the show, Note yeah. to Self? Oh, sure. Uh, um, the idea of the self is central to what we're talking about here and how we can get beyond current conceptions of the self in a way that can allow us to be more productive and sane and stable. And so I like that the show is called Note to Self because... For me, it raises all these questions about what the self is and how mm. can the quote-unquote self proceed productively and compassionately through the work we're doing. I just wanted to say that. That's yeah, really good. I love that. I like that. Yeah. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> well, um, just talk to us about your group at Normal Community, kind of the history of it and where you're at now. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's called Mindful Iron, and that's because... Uh, the mascot is the iron person. I say iron person because yeah. I like to be gender neutral and it's a sexist mascot. Mm. Everybody at the school gets mad when I say that, but it's true. Um, and uh, mindful because somebody in the district once said, probably a lawyer, that I'm not supposed to say meditation. I'm supposed mm. to say mindfulness, yeah. but I'm not a lawyer. Um, so I say meditation. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it's been around for eight years, I think. It started shortly after I arrived at Normal Community, and uh, some, two students approached me, and, and they said, hey, Mr. Robinson, we hear you meditate. Uh, would you sponsor a club? And I said, sure. And we've been doing it ever since, and it's gone through waves, and you know, uh, sometimes lots of people join. Like this morning, we met virtually, and there was a good amount of people there. Sometimes we go through months where it's just like me and one other person mm -hmm. sitting there. Um, but it's been, we've sort of had a, uh, it's sort of been renewed because of the pandemic, strangely, because people who haven't been able to attend before when we were meeting in my classroom every morning, they've been coming online. Yeah. And we've only been doing it once a week, whereas <clears throat> before the pandemic, I was sitting in my room <clears throat> every day of the week before school. Um, and I think people had this idea that if they didn't show up every day, they like mm. shouldn't show up at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, like, that's not the case. There's no membership. It's just I'm just here for you if you want to sit Perfect. or walk or stand or whatever. I saw on one of the agendas for an institute day at Normal Community that you were maybe, did you lead a group with everybody as like one of the rotations? Yeah, it was, people, uh, colleagues could select to join that okay. breakout group or whatever. Okay, did and, you have a good number of people join you? Oh yeah, uh, I did two different sessions at a recent institute day and there was probably at least 25, 30 people in each session. Oh wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really good. I think some people take it because they, they don't want to do other stuff. <laughs> but that's, that's, no. that's fine. It's great for meditation to just be ready to check out from whatever else is happening, right? Exactly. <laughs> so what I'm interested to know a little bit about your experience with meditation and um, kind of what the evolution of your own practice has been as you lead other people mm -hmm. and and – yeah, I'm just interested to know more about that. 
I got into it like many people get into things that change their lives because I was suffering immensely mm. from anxiety, uh, depression, but primarily like debilitating anxiety and panic attacks when I was younger. I've had panic attacks my whole life. When I was a kid, I didn't know what they were. Mm-hmm. I didn't know they were panic attacks. I just like suffered through it. Uh, but when I became older, I realized what was going on a little bit. And I actually met this Buddhist dude at a dog park in Chicago, uh, a fellow musician. We started talking about music. I'm a musician. I used to tour in a band. And anyway, I was like about to go on the road and I had all this anxiety. And he said, uh, you know, meditation could help with that. Like, yeah, I've tried it. It doesn't really help. Uh, and he's like, well, you know, you could try again. <laughs> and he invited me to his temple. And uh, I, I don't want to have anything to do with your temple, dude. I'm sorry. But I went. Like, well, I'm willing to try whatever. And uh, that time, it finally stuck, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I still rejected the whole, like, Buddhist component. I'm not trying to proselytize about Buddhism, but I rejected that for years. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to have anything to do with some institutionalized thing. Um, but uh, eventually, I woke up to that, too, and realized whether I wanted to be involved or not, I was a Buddhist. I just had to admit it to myself, <laughs> and I have been my whole life. I just didn't know it. I think that sometimes is a barrier for people when we talk about meditation is the religion side and like where they fall with all of that. But if we look at meditation in itself as a practice, so that was one of the quotes that I wrote down from when I joined you last week is you said, meditation is not it. It's not a thing that we're doing right now that's going to solve the problems. Meditation is a practice that you're going to use throughout the rest of your day. Mm, Exactly. That's what I loved about joining you Wednesday mornings is that I was able to think about that all day long and really into the week. Um, what did I practice during that that moment or it was probably 15 minutes of quiet and calm and how can I bring that into my everyday yeah experiences and there's no tradition philosophy religion secular non-secular whatever that has a monopoly on meditative practice Mm -hmm. that which is what's beautiful about it um just because my experience led me to something Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's going to be the same for everybody I got into it as a secular person, just trying to deal with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I didn't, myself didn't exist. And I <laughs> wake up to that when I started to understand that. But that's a whole separate thing. We yeah. to get into. I, I want to I hone in on that, that thought really quickly because I practice yoga for the same reason. I, and when I teach yoga, I say, your mat is a laboratory. And you get to watch what happens when you're shaking in a pose. You watch what happens to your mind. And most of the time we create more suffering for ourselves by like trying to like force things. And what we get to see in yoga is that actually when you experience ease through breath and through softening your face and setting your gaze, that more space is created when you're not forcing things to happen. And I I teach that and practice that for the exact same reason because I know that I have an experience of when I'm in chair pose for way too long and my legs are burning, I have a tool to go to with my breath and my eyes, and I can use that tool of breath and watching my gaze during a podcast, when I'm with students, when I'm with educators, and it's really powerful. And I think using opportunities in our lives as a laboratory and just being curious about what's going on there and not going in with this like, well, I don't want to do it because I have it this way in my head and I know it's going to be like that. We create that um, those expectations and when they're not met we create more suffering but if we just go in with curiosity more space is created and we kind of are able to take that and practice it in other places in our lives I just really wanted to hone in on that because I think it's a really powerful um, way to look at all sorts of different ways that we take care of ourselves or process or experience the world 
totally. Yeah, I mean, and um, uh, it, it had some, there was something you said that made me think of something, and then it just... Well, Stefan, this morning, I when I joined you, you said that sometimes holding on to our expectations um, and what we expect to happen is a barrier to moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's true in your self-care practice, whatever practice you choose, but just in life, if we're always holding on to what we expect, you know, and that can really hinder our progress. And um, so it was funny to have heard you say that this morning and then have Abby reiterate that today. Like that was a takeaway that I was like, you know, what am I holding on to that is causing me, you know, suffering or just like not that ability to move forward peacefully. You know? Absolutely. And what that opens up, like Abby is saying, what that can open us up to is a new relationship mm. with our mind and with the social world, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. reality, and allow us to act more, uh, I don't want to use like business language, but you know, like efficiently, more mm-hmm. productively, more clearly, with more focus and more intentionality. Uh, on the things that we need to do. Um, I, I, like I said, with the panic attack thing, you know, I, I haven't had a panic attack in years, and that's because of meditation. Mm-hmm. I, I had debilitating panic attacks. So even if people are just like, ah, this is hippie mumbo jumbo, mm-hmm. well, you know, there, there are practical applications for this, and um, it's changed my life, and it's saturated my life. Mm-hmm. You know, my, uh, my entire existence is now informed by these practices, mm-hmm. and it has not dulled me or made me some kind of like overly Mm lovey-dovey like you know whatever it has made me more clear Mm -hmm. and I can more calmly address things that need to be addressed Mm -hmm. you know and and not hold on to things that you know like I got a slightly angry email from a parent the other night and well okay what, what are my options respond explain the situation and go to bed. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have been I could have been irritated about that all night, but because I've been practicing this for over a decade, you know, many many years, it's more easy for me to be like, well, I can't do anything about this person's response to my, you know, <laughs> to what happened this week. And I think in those situations, when we don't have a clear filter, we start to create stories in our head about what that email means about me as a teacher, what that email means about that parent. And then we start to have ourselves that way. And then we move forward. Like I'm, I always, I feel like the underlying sense of a lot of um, those stories we create in our head is a sense of unworthiness. And, and that starts to come out. And then I start to live from that space. But when I can practice having a clear filter, when it comes to the parent email, there's that non-attachment, non-judgment that is allowed to exist there to say, here's how I have, here's what this is for me. I don't know what that is for that other person, but I know that I'm in the driver's seat here and I can respond in a way that contributes to my well-being and the well-being of that relationship. And it doesn't have to mean anything more than that. Mm. Yeah, you know, to you know conclude that story as an example i i could have gotten defensive mm-hmm. and reactionary mm-hmm. but i i just tried to take the time to be inquisitive mm-hmm. and address the concerns mm-hmm. this parent emailed me back the next morning oh okay right and i was like oh well, okay <laughs> <laughs> and everything was fine right yeah that's that i think 
becomes more possible when we have these relationships with our thoughts and ideas that allow us to not cling to them mm-hmm. in destructive ways. Mm-hmm. So you had said that you discovered meditation through that anxiety that you were feeling as a younger child or a younger adult. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that anxiety is new for a lot of staff members now, a lot of teachers, people, myself included, who used to feel very much in control of all of that. Like I could check in and out of emails and it didn't impact me. Um, and now because of the world that we're living in and all of the situations, some of those things are creating more anxiety that I know I'm not used to being able to, or having to really personally manage. So what advice might you have for people like myself who <laughs> Help. are having a hard time with all of this? But just every, there's lots of staff members in all areas, teachers, paraprofessionals, um, EOPs, lots of people that are struggling with this new anxiety that they haven't ever felt before. So what advice might you have? I think I, I can just tell you from my experience mm-hmm. is that one of the best things I ever did when I was younger was sort of, I guess, acknowledge to myself that that's what was happening mm-hmm. and to not try to hide it mm-hmm. and to be open about it. The more, the more when I was younger, the more I tried to hide it, the worse it would get. Mm-hmm. It was like a cycle. Um, so I was like, you know what? I have anxiety and panic attacks. And I would just tell people, if I leave dinner, I'm having a panic attack. They'd be yeah. like, okay. And right. like, oh, nobody cares. <laughs> right. Uh, and then they don't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, I think to ch- I, maybe this is easier said than done, but to understand that it's totally natural. Mm-hmm. These are responses that are embedded in our makeup from evolution. Mm-hmm. Like these are natural, physiological, mental responses to stimulus. Mm-hmm. And um, have you ever read uh, any of Robert Wright's works? No. In one of his books, uh, he, he's talking about mindfulness meditative practice and how meditation can really be um i like i like this it's like it's like looking at our naturally selected makeup as kind of uh, authoritarian in a way that it forces us to do stuff Mm. and meditation allows us to like act back against the authoritarian (laughs) nature of evolution that has like equipped our brains to be to respond in certain ways to certain stimulus that in 2020 are no longer productive right Mm -hmm. at one point you know hundreds of thousands of years ago when our species was, you know, doing whatever it was doing. <laughs> like, uh, the response of anxiety or rage or defensiveness might have served a specific purpose within a tight-knit, small community. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't serve a purpose when you're answering an email to a parent or right. when you're getting <laughs> cut off in traffic. Right. Yeah. And so to understand that, oh, that's just something my brain does, mm-hmm. and it's not me, mm-hmm. it just is a thing that happens as a product of the the reality of the universe, you can kind of detach yourself from it and just see it for what it is. Oh, this is a natural response to a stimulus. Mm-hmm. And then you don't latch onto it as though it's you having anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's just that anxiety exists in the universe. It's not you. Mm-hmm. And then you can watch it like traffic. Mm-hmm. Go, come and go. Yeah, and we have to like gain awareness of that in ourselves but I think too once you have that awareness looking in other people to see how like they're responding right. to things and, and being able to separate some of their responses and understand you know their response isn't about me it's about their body triggering their reactions you know that's right. why I teach the brain-based stuff when we talk about social emotional learning because it builds our own capacity for empathy for ourselves to watch what's happening and then that gets reflected back out into the world yeah, and not so to good. Get too grandiose here, but like uh, I don't. I'm very open about this stuff. I'm a pacifist, 
And that's what really led me into education. I want to live in a peaceful world where we're not at each other's throats, mm-hmm. killing each other over oil, you know, uh, fighting in the streets, uh, perpetuating systems of racism and sexism and all these. I want to, like, move beyond all that. We can't do it if we're not having a metacognitive revolution, mm-hmm. uh, a revolution in the way we understand ourselves, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, mm-hmm. our brains, our bodies, our relationships to others. And again, not to sound grandiose, but I think meditative practice is one thing of many things that can allow us to develop these new relationships that can maybe generations from now produce a more peaceful society. But but yeah, we have to have empathy for mm-hmm. others. And empathy for others has to come from empathy for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That empathy piece, I think, is extra hard now when we aren't having the face-to-face communication with people, right? When you get that um, email from a parent, you really can just read the words that they wrote down. You're not seeing that they're crying because they're hurt and like feeling bad for how they can not help their kid. Um, you can't see some of the emotions that go in with it. So I think that has caused an additional layer of stress and anxiety for people in you're missing the relationship piece that's so important in being able to be in tune with yourself too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. I feel like we should land with that because I f- feel like this could be 45 minutes if we keep going. <laughs> it's really good stuff though. Yeah. yeah. Thanks All right. for joining us, Stefan. Yeah, thanks, Stefan. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah.